Welcome to On the Job with Porak, your go-to place for public safety and officer rights, giving you the news you need to know and discussing the issues that matter. Hi, and welcome to another episode of On the Job with Porak. I'm Brian Marvel, president of Porak. With me today is Porak Vice President Damon Kurtz. And we have special guest, uh, executive board member and president of the Los Angeles Airport Police Association, Marshall McLean. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Today, we're going to talk about and take the time to acknowledge and discuss the current protests that are occurring across our nation and PORAC's response to the death of George Floyd. As you are well aware, our position is that peace officers, we want to protect and serve the citizens of our community. I think that's one of our greatest things that we do. As peace officers, we're held to a higher standard, and this incident is not consistent with the missions or goal of our profession. I think we stated that in our press release. Everybody obviously saw the video. If they haven't, they're clearly living outside of the realm of social media or TV, and we're definitely seeing uh, the repercussions uh, of that incident. I've been interviewed by several media outlets to to talk about that incident. And I think in my entire career, this is the first time that I've seen such an outpouring response by associations, chiefs, sheriffs in regards to uh, what we saw. You know, we try not to second guess our brothers and sisters in our profession. But I think in this case, and based on what we saw in the totality of the video that was presented to us via the media, there were serious issues in regards to the way that was handled. I was shocked at the level of uncaring or concern for the fact that somebody was in custody and that people were actually telling the officer that there was a man in distress on the ground, not being able to breathe, and there was no intervention by his other officers or the officer there not even checking on the welfare, to not even look or have a concern to make sure that Mr. Floyd was okay and conscious. I don't know about you too, and I'm sure your training is very similar to mine. We don't keep people on the ground prone like that. Once you take them in custody and they're handcuffed, we try to put them on their side or sit them up. Am I wrong on that? No, I think you're not wrong. I I think it's a failure on so many fronts for the law enforcement profession. And obviously the optics on it are horrible. You know, the, the focus right now is more on the race relations portion of it. But just from a law enforcement perspective, on what happened there was pretty shocking. I can't think in my 26 year career where there was ever a reason to sit on somebody for eight minutes. And just as a human being, when someone becomes unresponsive, at what point do you not have some sort of uh, empathy in you to, to make sure that the person's okay? And so that, that there's a lot of failures there. Unfortunately, um, our profession now is under attack nationally with a lot of unrest. I don't believe this is all a law enforcement issue. I think it goes to a lot of separate issues. But for us being professionals in the law enforcement agencies and presenting law enforcement as a whole, we have to take a hard look at some of the things we have done, um, the things that we're not proud of as far as the profession. We also have to take a look at where we're going and how can we be part of a healthy dialogue and how we can affect change that is still allows our organizations to function and allows us to protect the public effectively. And so I think those conversations going forward are going to be very difficult at times because it's an emotional topic. Yeah, I'd like to, first off, thanks for having me on the show. I do want to commend both you, Brian and Damon, as being leaders of this organization. 
And I think in our profession, uh, I'm in my 24th year now. I think that's our job. Any professional organization, we always have to critique ourselves. Now, naturally, it doesn't happen as quickly as people would like to see. But to put it in perspective, you can't also paint the brush across the entire United States in terms of law enforcement. Not only are things different training-wise, response-wise from state to state, but it's even different from county to county. But the fact that we're now having this conversation, I think is good. I think it's healthy. I also think it's cathartic to, to actually look at the real history of the United States. We can't, as a society, point at law enforcement and say, look at how bad law enforcement is when we really need to look at the state of our country. Is racism built into the fabric of our country? Absolutely it is. So for different programs out there to say that we can free the world or eliminate police violence, how can you actually make a statement like that when our country is a violent country? and you want police officers to police that. So when they start talking about how many officer-involved shootings happen on a yearly basis, you can't take that statement without the context of how many shootings they are that aren't law enforcement related in this country. Now, if we're gonna talk about race as respect to what happened in Minneapolis specifically, I was blown away to see that their policy has a provision allowing to apply a neck restraint on an unconscious person. In, in the life of me, in my 24 years, being a field training officer, being involved in a lot of other things and being a union rep, I can't think of one tactical reason why you would want to continue to apply a neck restraint on an unconscious person. Definitely not in California. I've never heard of any such thing. But for people to compare tactics and policies and procedures in California and compare them to others, that's naive. And you're right, Brian, the look on that individual's face was the same expression someone would have if they stepped on an ant. And I think that's the problem that everyone's having. When it comes to law enforcement, I think we do a poor job of admitting when we're wrong. And I mean, that's across the board. And that's what I think needs to happen more often because we are a country that's willing to give people second chances. And it can't be, we're not going to give law enforcement a second chance. This is a, a bigger issue because yes, we do have the ability to take someone's freedom away we do have the ability to take someone's life away. So sometimes in those regards, yeah, that person's not going to get a second chance. But I mean, in terms of something that, that I'll give a shout out here to Mike Parker from the Sheriff's Department. He coined this in a PIO class that we need to do a better job when we mess up, we dress up and we fess up. So I think what we're doing is good. It's definitely a step in the right direction of coming out and, and calling a spade a spade and saying when something's wrong, it's wrong and we need to fix that. And Last point, it can't be fixed just by us and it can't be fixed just by outside forces. It's got to be a collaborative effort. Otherwise, we're going to be back here in 28 years seeing things burn again. You know, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I think, you know, one of the things that's also at issue here is that we talk about different cultures in the police culture, right? There's this idea that they that there are a push to be more community-based, police-based, right? We want to be engaged with the community. We want to have that. And our staff will go out to these uh, town hall meetings and we'll have barbecues and do these things. But when they go back to the department, they send a different message to our line level people. The message is, hey, crime is up in this area. You need to rest more. You need more tickets. Is it time for the paradigm shift to measure a officer's productivity based on the amount of enforcement action he's making or the impact he's making on the community? Even in mainstream media and TV shows, we glorify the hard-nosed cop, the tactical cop, the SWAT cop, but we don't glorify Andy Griffith. When I would argue Andy Griffith is what we need right now, we need to be able to connect with our communities and build trust within our communities. But the hard-nosed cop, the SWAT cop, 
that we portray on TV, which people think is what we are. And in some cases, our officers try to portray that themselves, even with their own ranks, right? We, we have our little cliques. How do we affect that culture so that we can be better service our communities? Yeah, I think the points that both of you are making are, are very good. And the conversation that we need to have externally and internally are obviously going to be vital in moving the police reforms that are clearly coming our way. Our biggest message is we hear you providing them a space to protest. I think all three of us on here totally support the right for people to exercise their First Amendment right to be able to get out there and protest and say what they have to say in a very peaceful manner. I think when it comes to the the looting and the riots, we're clearly seeing that the, the peaceful protesters do not want that. I wish our elected folks would be much more vigorous in condemning those types of actions because I really think they're doing a disservice to the people that want their message to be heard. I totally support the ability of them to peacefully protest within our streets. And that's what we do. We keep it safe for them to be able to have that protest. Have to uh, deploy the, uh, the crowd control on the riots and the looters is not something we want to do. It's just, unfortunately, it's being unfettered at this moment. I just don't see how the damage that's being done, the places that are being looted, you know, I'm over here in Sacramento and local CVS was looted. The beauty store was looted. The liquor store was looted, but there was a hamburger place and it wasn't even touched. So I just think we're seeing a lot of people that aren't out doing this for the right reasons. But I also attribute some of it to being locked in our houses for 12 weeks. It was good to see the unemployment level is down to like 13%. You know, there were projections that it would be 25%. There's a lot of pent up emotions right now. And I think this was an opportunity for some people to take a very serious issue and make it into something that it isn't. Yeah, um, I just want to touch on a point you said. And I had a, a long conversation with my mom the other day. And my mom's a, or she was a therapist and a social worker. And she was around during the Watts riots. And I wasn't. I was here during the 92 riots. She made a good point because she said, she texted me justifiable looting. And I, I didn't understand that. It's like, called her up and said, mom, you know, I, I don't understand that. How can you justify looting? She's like, I'm not justifying it, but it was inevitable. Yes, we do have, you know, we did have a perfect storm with COVID and everyone being locked up and, and pent up aggression, like you said, uh, Brian. But she, she kind of compared it to, you send a child to their room and they're upset for whatever reason. And they go inside their room and, you know, maybe they messed up stuff in their room and they throw it around. It's their room. And, you know, ultimately after everything's done, they're going to have to clean up their room. But it's more about anger and not knowing what to do with that rage. If you've ever watched that movie Seven, there's a point in there where the actor is whispering and you can only hear him at first. And he's saying, detective, detective. And he gets louder and louder and louder and he screams, detective. And they finally realize, hey, that's the killer. And he's got blood on his hands and they take him into custody. But the point that he makes in there is, you know, sometimes you can't just tap someone on the shoulder. You've got to hit them with a hammer because they're not hearing you. And I think that's what we have. Actually, I know that's what we have right now. It's no coincidence that these riots happen. People who've been in law enforcement long enough like us, we've been saying that there was going to be another riot. And there's going to be another one if we don't address these issues. 
but we can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. We can't just blow everything up and start over and start fresh because that's not real either. And that's what concerns me right now with this talk about defunding the police, the conversations that are really truly one-sided right now where legislators are are having knee-jerk reactions and only listening to one side. And we can't do that. We can't just listen to all the police unions. We can't listen to all the Republicans, but we can't listen to all the Democrats either or any other if there is a third party, if there truly is. But it's got to be a collaboration between the two. And what you said, Damon, was right on point in terms of productivity of, of officers. Um, I, I think, and judging by the conversations I've had over this past week with, with a lot of people, is you have community members who don't support the looting. They do support the protest, peaceful protest and being out there and doing that. But some of these community members have no real understanding of how the process works. They're just angry. They're just upset and they're tired of turning on the TV or seeing social media in the world on fire. So they don't know what the answers are. So if someone comes up and says, hey, I have the answer, they're going to listen to them, whoever it is. I think this is truly an opportunity if our legislature Legislators will be mature and honest about what's going on, that they have some culpability on this too. They can't just turn around and try to say that we're gonna we're gonna listen to all the protesters, we're gonna listen to all the activists. They've gotta listen to both sides because otherwise we will be here 28 years again and seeing things burn. But it's gotta be both sides together. We've gotta get community involvement. The barbecues and the, um, the meetings and things like that have to happen regularly, routinely. It's, it's going to be a long process, but we've got to get back to the community-based policing and having an officer like an SRO or, or school resource officer in that environment. That was the most impact on my career is going to school and having the same resource officer who didn't just know me, but he knew my sisters, he knew my cousins, he knew everybody, and everybody respected this guy because he was there for a long time. Everybody knew him, and what he said was bond. So we've got to get back to that in terms of the police officers being a part of that community process, and it's a generational thing that we've got to turn the clock back on that, on how we police our communities. And I think from there, we'll start recruiting more folks from the community that says, you know what? Hey, that is a rewarding career. I did see someone that looks like me and hey, that person had an impact on me instead of saying, I, you know, you know, F the police. I don't want nothing to do with them. And that's just come coming from ignorance in the sense that you don't you've never encountered or had a positive encounter with a police officer. So naturally, you're going to feel that way. We've got to do a better job on that. And the community as well has to do a better job on that, because this idea of unfunding the police or abolishing the police, that's not real. That's a naive statement to think that there's not evil in the world. There's not people with guns in the world. There's not people that are going to prey on the weak. That is the reality we live in. And we live in a violent society and all of that needs to be looked at and addressed. And let's be real about it and have real conversation. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, that's kind of why I brought up the whole Andy Griffith deal. You know, we've kind of gotten away in law enforcement away from, you know, the, the beat cop, you know, um, the beat pride conversation. You know, we've become more much more specialized. You know, patrol only does a certain function and then you have this investigative unit does this. And then we have this tactical unit that does this. We have, and we used to be a jack of all trades. We did everything, including dispatch, including crime scene analysis. We did everything and we, we started branching that off. And at the very least, I think we need to get back to where we focus on a beat and you learn the people in your beat, in your area, your neighborhood, 
And, you know, you get that first name basis and that's how you develop that trust. And I know that's hard because of the resources and what's going on. But one of the things I talked about quite often is the conflicting message that our officers on the streets get. The, the public messages, community-based policing, be friendly, do all these things. But behind the scenes, they're being pushed because their command staff is saying, hey, burglaries are up in your area. You need to make more arrests or this is happening. You need to write more tickets. Or I looked at your stats last month and you know what? you know, you're not where you need to be. There's a culture within the police department that I think that we need to take a hard look at and how we can be more effective. And this is an opportunity to look at that. What's going on nationally, I mean, people should be angry and we're angry. And I think that's another part of our culture that probably we need to take a hard look at is typically we don't like to throw our brother officers under the bus, even when they've done wrong. We tend to, we'll complain on them. We'd one, we don't care that they get fired. We're happy that they get fired, moved on, but we typically don't come out publicly and say negative things about that officer, even though they've done brought horrible light to our profession, we tend to be quiet on it, right? I don't know that we can do that anymore. What happened in Minneapolis, obviously most of us came out pretty harshly against it and because of the unrest. But I think even if there wasn't, we should have been vocal about that. And if there's other ones, we should be vocal about that saying, hey, we don't approve of that. And I think that's part of the culture also. And what people see is that they think that we protect those cops and we really don't. They get fired every day. We just don't want to tell everybody about it. And I don't know that that's the answer. People need to know that we're not okay with that type of behavior. And, and I don't think that they understand that we're not. That's a, a bigger society issue too. You name a profession or otherwise that regularly rats, if you will, on their people. They don't. It just doesn't happen. So in order for us, we can't put law enforcement outside of society because we're from society. So it, it's not a natural reaction for people to tattle on someone else. Even as a little kid, hey, don't tattle. Hey, snitches get stitches and dig ditches. That is something that goes on throughout society. So I think with in respects to that is, yes, we have to do that. We need to do that. But it's going to have to be trained into our people starting in the academy and continue that training regularly, scenario driven to where you actually have a duty. You can't just put in the policy, but you have a duty to save that person from themselves. And that needs to be done nationally, not just here in California. I want to uh, really thank both of you guys. You know, we could probably talk hours on end about this, but we try to keep these podcasts a little bit short to keep folks in tune. I just want to close it up. The fact that I think as an organization over the last several years, we have definitely have brought a lot of stuff to the table. We want to continue to be at the table to have these discussions. I think Marshall is absolutely right that one side or the other doesn't have the solution moving forward, but all the stakeholders need to be there. Fortunately, the the noise that we're hearing, the rhetoric is clearly they want to exclude us. But I think if you look at our track record over the last couple of years, especially in regards to Senate Bill 230, we literally created a statewide minimum standard on training and use of force. I think it can be used as a national model. We continue to push that at the federal level. I think PORAC needs a much greater voice in Washington, D.C. when it comes to discussions regarding use of force, training, and recruitment. I think we have some fantastic ideas of how we can move our profession forward, make it even more professional than it already is. We have some solid voices in the police labor movement, not only in California, but around the United States. We need to start tapping into that. One of the things that I would like to express to our police labor guys in the state of California and gals is that they need to start being out front. They need to start messaging. They need to start building relationships, not only with our media folks, but they need to start building relationships with folks in the community. 
So you have some people you can call immediately when issues like this arise. So hopefully moving forward, we can start having a greater outreach as a police labor union in regards to how we deal with these things. As again, I stated that we need to keep this a little bit short. We'll probably have a lot more conversations on the dialogue and what police reform is going to look like in the future for us. I clearly believe that our profession is going to change and we can either be at the table or be on the menu. So I'm going to close it up right there. I want to thank you for joining us on this latest episode of On the Job with Porak. We hope you enjoyed it. We'd love to hear your ideas for upcoming episodes. Join us on all our social media platforms and be sure to tag us with your suggestions. Go to porak.org to learn more about California's largest law enforcement organization, representing over 77,000 public safety members and 920 associations. Make sure to check out and share our monthly podcasts and past episodes on porak.org, iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, YouTube, or wherever available. Lastly, we'd like to say thank you to all our PORAC members and our nation's law enforcement. Be safe and have a great day. That's it for this episode. Make sure you tune in next time as we discuss the issues that matter. 